Thank you for tuning in to the Our View podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Selena Wesneski. Selena lives with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, also known as EDS. Join our conversation as we discuss her journey to arriving at a diagnosis, our mutual appreciation for Tony Award winner Ali Stroker, and the importance of strong family and friendship bonds. So thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to do this. I, uh, you know, as as you heard my story a little bit, uh, ten years ago I started the Our View company to raise awareness about disabilities, and specifically my story uh, to use myself as uh, like as as an example of what people can achieve uh, with even though they have a disability. So with um. So, so with the uh, whole COVID nineteen situation going on, um, I've thankfully I, I've found some inspiration to do new things, and one of those things is to create this podcast. And I want to use the podcast to share a little bit more about my story. I, I do keep a blog that I don't post on on a regular basis, um, but to use you know some blog posts as uh, some episode content where I can expand on the the post that I did or just other stories that I have, but also to tell the story of other people and um, you know, what they're achieving in life and, and just to bring awareness about the uh, different types of disabilities, those that, uh, that are visible, you know, I, I use crutches and a wheelchair. So you can see when I walk up to you that, you know, I have some type of mobility disability but there are other people who have uh, the invisible disabilities that you can't necessarily see, um, you know, from the outward appearance. So I, I want to bring awareness to those uh, types of disabilities as well. Uh, so to start off the episode, I would like for you to just introduce yourself and uh, tell the listeners uh, just anything about yourself, who you are and where you're from and um, some family information and uh, what do you like to do for fun? That all that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, uh, my name's Selena Wesneski. Um, I live in California, Southern California. I'm originally from Utah. Um, I moved out to California because I was a performer and I was in a performing group and um, was able to tour performing for several years, went to Australia, New Zealand, different places like that. Um, so that's what I did for a long time. Um, I'm married uh, for 15 years now. We've been together for 20 years. Um, and I used to run a, uh, after I was done performing uh, full time, I ran a, a staffing company for about 10 years. And then my health kind of declined and declined and declined um, over that time. So I'm not working anymore. So I live here with my husband and my little old English bulldog and <laughs> Oh, I love bulldogs. <laughs> and um for fun, I love to go to the theater. I love the outdoors. Um so it's been challenging as I've become more and more disabled, you could say, to find, you know, to do things I used to be able to do, but um I'm finding new ways of doing all the things that I love. So that's yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you uh, were a performer and you were in a touring group. What I didn't mention was uh, that you and my cousin Brooke uh, yes. met each other in the, uh, was it young Americans young group? Americans. Yep. So we were yes. both performers together in that. And then also um, my husband and I had a band and she would also come perform with us in our band sometimes. So yeah. Oh, great. So yeah. That's how we know each other. Yeah, I remember uh I remember being uh much younger as a kid and, and that uh the young Americans group would tour and they would they came to New Jersey mm -hmm. uh one time and, and 
<laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, so you all came to uh, New Jersey uh, one time, and, and a group of our family who, who live in New Jersey, we uh, came to see you all. Um, could you uh, go into what your, uh, what your diagnosis is called, and um, uh, what are some of the symptoms that you were experiencing um, you know, before your diagnosis, and, and what made you uh, you know, start to look into uh, what the uh, possible uh, issue could could have been. Sure. So it's kind of a three-parter, and I'll try to okay. make it not such a long story. Oh, no. Take, take your time, and, and I think the more, uh, you know, the more information we share, the better uh, okay. it is for people. Yeah, so I don't mind. <laughs> so I had health issues from since birth that they could never figure out was wrong, like just chronic infections and crying all the time and things like that. Um, I was slow to grow, like I had delayed bone growth and things like that. So they had taken me to a geneticist when I was a little baby back in 1981, but they couldn't find anything wrong because I met all the milestones and everything like that. Um, so um, by the time I was 11, I had just constant pain all the time. Um, I was, you know, in and out of the hospital and in and out of tests and running all these tests, trying to figure out what was going on. And so when I was 11, I was, one time I was in the ER um, with just really severe leg pain that had me just screaming. And um, the doctor on call diagnosed me with fibromyalgia when I was 11. So at that time, um, it was like, okay, we have a word for it at least, but this was in like 1992, uh -huh. <laughs> and I was told I was like the first child diagnosed with fibromyalgia in Utah, and so they didn't really know what to do with me. They didn't believe it. A lot of doctors didn't believe it was a real diagnosis, but it was like enough that they just stopped looking. And we kind of accepted it as that's what the diagnosis is. And they didn't really know what it was. So throughout my life, things just kept getting worse. Um, but I was able to really push through pain and push through things like I skateboarded, I did dance class, I was doing musical theater, I was doing all this stuff. And then afterwards, I would just be at night crying in pain. Um, and I would have a lot of injuries that just wouldn't heal. So I'd injure myself a lot and it'd be really hard to heal. And it would seem like why, you know, we just couldn't figure out what's going on. So I, you know, was able to perform and keep doing things and keep pushing. And I was able to work a really stressful job and my health just kept declining. So like I would say in my 20s, I started needing to use a cane if I was going any type of a distance. I just didn't have the strength to um, to walk very far. And then, you know, if I were at Disneyland or something like that, I would need a wheelchair. I couldn't stand that long. That was by my mid-20s. Right. And then by my early 30s, um, my health in every way just started going downhill where I was no longer able to really walk. Um, Pain-wise, weakness-wise, I had a lot of other things that were going on that were GI-related, bladder-related, chronic migraines, really severe fatigue, like immune system issues, like all these different things. And mind you, from like 11 to 30s I'd still been like going to doctors saying something is wrong like I don't believe this is just fibromyalgia not that it's just fibromyalgia but it just seemed like something else was going on and there were all these diagnoses I was getting that I I just in my heart knew they had to be related they couldn't just be like 20 different diagnoses that don't relate so um right by 35 is when um, I found out I had gastroparesis, which is like a slowing um, of your motility. So it's not cute, but I was vomiting like 20 times a day and they just couldn't figure out why. So they um, diagnosed me with gastroparesis. And after that, um, I was speaking with my primary care and we just couldn't figure out what was going on. And 
two days after my 37th birthday, I went to a geneticist for the first time, or I guess the second time, but (laughs) first time for me. It's like we had exhausted every test, everything. And so I went to a geneticist two days after my 37th birthday. And at this point, I hadn't been working for two years. I was so sick and I had really lost my mobility and I just couldn't do anything at that point. And um, so... I was at the geneticist and she came in with her staff and with her residents and they were looking over me, asking me a huge family history. And um, she was pointing out a lot of things on me. And and at the end of it, you know, she had said, you don't have fibromyalgia, you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I was like, what? Because... (laughs) <laughs> all these years, you know, right. for 20, 25 <laughs> years, I had been doing everything related to fibromyalgia. I had tried every drug. I had even gone to Alabama to see a doctor there that had had a lot of work with people with fibromyalgia, even having wow. a surgery to help with it. And I just tried every, I mean, because I was so young when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia that I tried every, you know, everything in those 25 years and nothing worked and I just couldn't understand why and so I found out no you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um, type 3 which is the hypermobile type and there's about 13 types of EDS and um, so what it is for me uh, for most people with Ehlers-Danlos it's um, your um, connective tissue that holds everything together is lax. So um, if you can imagine like most people's connective tissue is like a rubber band. Mine is like the rubber band has worn out and like the elastic's gone out of your socks and it's just loose. So um, to make up for it, uh, the rest of my body, like my muscles and everything else has to hold everything together. So. That's why I'm in a constant state of like muscle spasms and things like that. Um, So it also affects, you know, internally. There was a lot of things that didn't make sense. Um, I was having a different um, GI type of a surgery and they looked at my gallbladder while they were in there and it was literally just like falling apart, which meant, which I didn't have my EDS diagnosis at the time. So they were just like, I don't know what's going on like your gallbladder is falling apart so um and there's been a lot of internal things like that so the connective tissue within your organs can also you know come apart so um so basically you know it causes a lot of pain and there's a lot of comorbidities that go along with it um (laughs) so i have autonomic dysfunction so it's a problem regulating your temperature, regulating your blood pressure. Um, and there's just a big long list of comorbidities that go along with it. But um, yeah, it wasn't until two years ago that I actually had a name for what was going on uh, my whole life. Because it's now a is, condition. yeah, is EDS, is that a is that a new, is that something new that they found or has it, has it been around for a long time and, and it just took a long time for you to be diagnosed with it? Well, it's been around a long time, but it's considered, it was considered pretty rare. Okay. Um, my primary care physician who I, I've been with for 20 years and I, I told him I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome have you ever heard of it? And he was like, I've never heard of it. So (laughs) a lot of doctors have never heard of it. Um, But also there's like a third part, which is after my finding out about the EDS, we decided to do some further genetic testing. And um, last September, I found out that I have a variant of a mutation that's never been seen before in the history of genetics. So right now I'm the only <laughs> person alive wow. that's known to have a certain variant, which has no name besides mine, I guess, for now. <laughs> it's just a bunch of letters and numbers, but, but um, they've just never seen it before. So 
we did some further, you know, genetic investigating because a lot of the symptoms I had also, um, I have episodes of paralysis and different things like that that just didn't quite fit. So we did some further genetic testing and then we found out actually like, we don't know what this is and you're the first person on record to have it. So wow, it's kind of a three part story and that. Yeah. So right now there, you know, there's so much happening with genetics and it's happening so quickly that doctors can't even keep up with it. So yeah. They have sent my genetic code to like the National Institute of Health. And as more people get genetic testing and it's becoming more available and affordable for people, then I don't want to say hopefully because I don't want anyone to go through what I've been through. But um, maybe if a baby is born with my same mutation, I would be able to at least give them an idea of what they can expect because my whole life I've just been going blind and not knowing what's going on day to day and yeah and then having the the misdiagnosis of the fibromyalgia like that you know and you and you said you were you know doing everything 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 thinking that that's what you had and you know not not seeing any results on the positive side of of doing everything you're told for the fibromyalgia like that you know that that Definitely has to be frustrating, I'm sure. Frustrating, uh, yeah, to me and to doctors who are just going, right. you know, luckily, you know, I, I did have a lot of doctors that didn't believe me along the way because they're just like, this doesn't look like fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia isn't this progressive and it doesn't cause this and this, or they believe me that I have something wrong, but they just didn't know what it was. So it yeah. just took a long time. <laughs> Wow, that's yeah. It was really a, a lifelong uh, process for you up until, like you yeah. said, a couple of years ago, to find yeah. out um, what it was. So, is um, is EDS? Is it, uh, it? It's that it's a progressive type of uh, diagnosis where through time it it progresses into a more serious uh, situation. For most people yes it's it's um it's one of those conditions where uh most people have a lot of similarities and then there's also a ton of differences so like a lot of so a big problem with eds is it causes because your uh connective tissue is lax we have a lot of um subluxations and dislocations so for me um i can just move and my shoulder could come out of uh it could dislocate or subluxate same with like my jaw my hands my wrists my hips my knees my ankles so i have a lot of subluxations i don't have that many dislocations but a lot of people with eds have constant dislocations which leads them to have a lot of surgeries and things like that there's also a lot of common um comorbidities with EDS, the type that I have are like a Chiari malformation, um, okay. cervical cranial instability, and uh, uh, CSF leaks, like a lot of different things. So it presents in a lot of different ways. Like some kids are, um, what I've learned, what's helped me the most is, you know, like I, I went to a geneticist thinking like, you know, I, I didn't know what I thought. I, I just, it had been so long of just not knowing that I, I did kind of have a feeling that I was going to get an answer. Like I just kind of intuitively felt like this was my, la kind of my last chance to see if we could find out what was wrong with me. But, um, you know, they kind of go, you know, geneticists are like, this is what you have, like, go get, go get your heart checked out because, uh, because of the internal organ issues, like you can have aortic um, dissection and things like that and go see these types of doctors, but then they just send you on your way. So what helped me was I joined on Facebook an Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome community, which was like, hey, I just got diagnosed. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Can you yeah. help me? You know, where do I go? Because my primary care physician had no idea what it was. 
And I didn't know, and you know, when I was first diagnosed, it was like, I just started crying and my doctor was like worried. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm crying because I'm so happy to finally know what this is because it had right. been so long. And, you know, I was in a wheelchair at that point and people would say, why are you in a wheelchair? And it'd be like, I really don't know. <laughs> you know, I yeah. could say fibromyalgia or something like that, but people are like, well, my aunt has fibromyalgia and she took a vitamin and she's fine, you know? So it was like, right. it was really hard for a long time to like know that there's something else going on with you, but you just don't know what it is. So when I finally like had a word for it and I understood it and I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. It was like, I was just like over the moon happy. And my husband was like, kind of like, did you just hear what I heard? <laughs> because like, <laughs> I was so happy to just know what it was. Right. And then I think like a, a few months later, it hit me, you know, like it is a really, you know, it's a tough thing. But I, the thing is, I've been dealing with it my whole life. I just didn't have a name for it. But it's, True. once you know, you know, like it was like, I, I had put a lot of pressure on myself, especially when you think it's fibromyalgia, you think like, I just need to diet and exercise and do this and take this medicine and I'll be fine because people are living their lives and why can't I? And then once I finally found out, no, this is like a serious condition and there's a reason you're feeling this way. And like, it wasn't my fault that I didn't get better, you know? all these years like that was a big relief but then it was also like oh I'm not gonna get better so that kind yeah. of was a hard thing to deal with that it's that it comes to terms with like oh like because when it's when it's fibro or something like that you think there's gonna be a drug that's gonna come out or there's gonna be this but when it's a genetic condition that um you know you can't fix your connective tissue like right so, yeah you know, there was a, there was a uh, definite grieving point of going, oh, like, this isn't going to get better. So yeah. it is different for a lot of people, but a lot of similarities as well. But um, and me, I think that's, um, I think that's a really big, important thing, um, even for myself, having spina bifida. Um, and with any type of disability, I think it's important to... Um, you know, to realize that although two people may have the same uh, diagnosis in name, mm -hmm. it can look similar and then it can look very different for uh, two, two different people because everybody's body is different and uh, what exists for, uh, I hear it all the time, you know, oh, well, I know someone who has spina bifida and they don't, you know, they don't have to use a wheelchair and, and now there's a, a fetal surgery that you can have uh, for spina bifida before the baby is born. There's a very popular uh, Facebook page with a, a little boy who who had the surgery, and I think he's you know three years old now, maybe four. And you know, so it's like uh, you know very interesting uh, to to hear people say like, oh well, this person has the same thing, and they don't you know it doesn't look like you. Well, every yeah. body is literally different, so <laughs> that's uh, yeah, it's very important to uh, stress that I think uh, for it's people. Just so helpful for me to find these groups and to just be like, Hey, I've got this going on. Does this sound, <laughs> does this related to EDS? Is this what's happening? And, and, you know, it's been amazing, you know, just over the past two years to find like thousands of people that I felt so alone in what I was going through. And, and, um, you know, to be 37 and not know you had this genetic condition since birth, <laughs> right. you know, and just be like, yeah. what is going on for all these years? And then to have like thousands of people that are in the same position. And yeah. The, um, the Facebook them, groups have really, uh, oh you know, the gosh. Facebook groups and, and they, they've been very helpful even, uh, even for me with, uh, I, I told you, uh, we had a tropical storm that came through here. Uh, yesterday and the um, the pressure change in the air it really impacts my shunt and I get really bad headaches and it's you know it goes down my neck and um, even part of today like my neck was still stiff because of uh, because of all of that but I and, and it's happened for years and I never really put it together until you know the last 
I would say maybe five or six years or so because I belong to some Facebook groups for spina bifida and, you know, people were saying, oh, my, my son or I, you know, we experience headaches uh, in our shunt whenever a, a big storm was coming through or something like that. And, and, like, and I'm like, wait, that's like, that's me. That happens to me. So it's really, uh, you know, it, 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 they, those groups are really helpful at times for sure. Then a lot of, oh my gosh, like that's what was happening. Like, for the last two years. And then it's yes. also been great, like that I've been able to help people as well. Like even though like, you know, I'm I'm only two years into it, like I've still been doing similar thing. You know what I mean? And and there's new people coming in all the time that like you feel like you can help and that's been really helpful for me, especially feeling like, you know, I haven't been able to work and I haven't been able to do things. It's just like something I can do to help somebody or you know to be like you're not yeah. alone in this and I also went through this and here's what type of doctor you need to see and here you know stuff like that so that's been really helpful and just big part of my journey <laughs> yeah that's and that's really and and even like you said there are new people um you know getting diagnosed every day so you know hopefully you know even through this podcast that somebody uh you know, we'll hear and, and be able to, uh, you know, realize and hear some of the uh, symptoms and maybe, you know, maybe be able to get some, some help, uh, you know, through listening through to your story. And uh, so it's really, uh, really great. And, and thank you uh, so much for sharing all of that. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I'm sure it was quite, like you said, a, quite a relief to find, finally have a, a proper diagnosis after all that time. So it's really... Can be very frustrating like you said for yourself and for the doctors because it's you know they they're just trying their best to figure out what's wrong as as well yep. so um my next question is how is how has your diagnosis changed the way that you uh had to live your life and i know you touched on it uh a little bit earlier when yes when i was in my 20s i i would oftentimes need to use a cane if i was going distances um but I was really uh, able to push through a lot and, and I probably did some <laughs> damage to myself. Um, by the time I was in my 30, like early 30s, I was just getting to where I could barely walk a few steps. Um, so I was using a walker. Um, it was really hard. Um, for, just for me because everyone around me is so supportive like my husband is extremely supportive my friends I have like an amazing group of friends that just never treated me any differently and they don't you know most of my friends we were young Americans together so we were dancing and singing and teaching kids and like doing all this stuff so they've known me you know as somebody who was singing and dancing and doing all this stuff to all of a sudden like I'm at their house with a walker and it was really hard for me to accept it and to be okay with it and um and then I finally you know couldn't do it anymore and I had to get a wheelchair and I remember um because of my shoulders like I didn't understand it then but because my shoulders sublux when I'm moving a lot I couldn't do the I couldn't wheel myself. Okay, and yeah. So I had to switch. So I had to get an electric wheelchair. And I remember the day, like, we got the lift in my car. I just started bawling because I was just like, this is real. <laughs> yeah. And um, so that was really hard for me <laughs> to go through that. But I, um, I have felt empowered since my diagnosis because now – um, at least I know what it is, and I feel like I can be an activist in some way, and in some way, you know, like, I kind of heard you talking about this before, but, you know, when you're in a wheelchair, when you're going through stuff, and people see you, they're always just like, you're such an inspiration, you know? Yes. <laughs> and that always bothered me. <laughs> and I, I was like, you, you know, I'm an inspiration just because I'm in, like, if they don't know me, you know what I mean? Right, yes. Just because I'm in a wheelchair, just like I, you know, there's a lot more for me than that, you know? Absolutely. But, but I, 
I started realizing just, I mean, just in this past year that I always stood up to be in a picture and I hid my wheelchair out of the picture. I just, you know, it took me a long time. Like, so if there's pictures of me on Facebook, it'd be because one of my friends took it. Because if it was ever like, hey, let's take a picture, I would stand up because I could. Oh, yeah. And now it's like um, at the point where I can't really even do that. But I, I, something changed in me where I felt like, maybe it's okay to be an inspiration because there are other people out there that are going through this change, like people that have gone from being mobile to immobile and they need to understand what that's like. And I've spoken about it a lot, like on Facebook and, and been more open about it when I used to kind of hide all of my health stuff and I didn't uh-huh. want people to know about it. And so I've been speaking out and then I've been getting huge responses from people that, um, you know, hey, my kid's going through this, it sounds like it might be EDS, or who do I go to for this, or, you know, just things like that, and I've been trying to let it in that, um, not necessarily that I'm an inspiration, but that I can show people that, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of being in a wheelchair, and that, um, I don't know why, because when I, you know, I'm, kind of since I was a little kid I always you know volunteered and helped like my disabled classmates and I've always been like uh-huh. an LGBT activist and then at the Black Lives Matter protests and then when it came to me and my disability or me being different I just didn't want to accept it or take a stand on it like it took me a long time to like wow. accept myself and so mm-hmm. I think like once I put a name to it and I understood what was going on and then I realized that I could help other people and that um, it was really just about me accepting myself and where I am. And um, and it's in turn helped some other people as well, but it's mostly helped me to accept myself and not fight it. Yeah, that's. I think that's so... Uh so so great because um as you said in the the uh episode of the podcast where we played the uh, wheelchair user bingo and uh you know that was one of the things of you're an inspiration and um you know it, it's like i i said then like it, it doesn't bother me too much um but hearing you know hearing what you just said uh you know, I'm not just an inspiration because I use a wheelchair because I have a disability. It's, you know, uh, but I think everybody can, um, you know, inspire other people to do things and, uh, you know, just find hope somewhere uh, through, you know, through their actions and, and how they live their life. And I always really, say that to you, like, you know, they're always like, I could never get through what you've gotten through and be so positive and, you know, but it's like, you see people go through all kinds of things and they, people are amazing and they're resilient and, and yes, they inspire me for sure. Yeah. And it, it goes back to um, what you had said a few minutes ago about having a great, uh, great support for your friends and uh, people in your life. Um, you know, it's like I, I have no choice but to do some things sometimes because my friends will just, <laughs> you know, they, they won't let me do anything otherwise. And, uh, you know, so it's really uh, very important that people, you know, that you have the, the great uh, support system uh, surrounding you. That is a great encouragement for sure that I, um, you know, I, I'm grateful for uh, my my great team of people that keep me keep me moving, keep me going. And, um, you know, especially through this, uh, COVID-19 situation where I wasn't out, you know, out for a long, long time and, uh, just having people drop off things and, uh, you know, pick up things for, from the store for me and drop them off. And that was, uh, all very, you know, very kind and very helpful, but, uh, definitely necessary since I was unable to, uh, to really get out. So, yeah. I think the support the support teams is is a, a great big factor in um, 
you know, making it through uh, a lot of the tough times for me. I know that's. I have uh, an amazing husband who's been with me for 20 years through the wow. whole thing and is so, you know, he's so amazing. And I have the best friends and family that are so supportive. And so I, you know, I always feel like I'm one of the luckiest people in the world, no matter what I'm going through. Like, I just always, you know, I try to, even if like, you know, we all have our bad days where we might feel sorry for ourselves, but like, (laughs) I always just go to gratitude and I just have so much gratitude for the people in my life. And um, that's what really gets me through everything for sure. And I had thought like I'd be okay with COVID because I've been home, you know, I've been home for like the past five years, really. Like a lot of the last five years has been spent in bed and unable to do things and having different surgeries and different tests and all of these things. And that. And so at the beginning of COVID, I was like cheering on everybody and letting them know, hey, you're going to get through this. Like it's hard at first, but you'll get through it. Yeah, And then just in the last little while, I've realized how many things like that I had put in place to help me stay sane. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> we would always have, you know, even if, you know, I'd be in, sometimes I'm in bed for like two, three weeks where I just can't move or can't do anything. But then, you know, when I'm starting to feel better, my husband will make sure that, you know, our friends come out and visit and spend the night. And so we have people coming or we'll, have a play or, you know, we'll have something to look forward to all the time. And I have two amazing goddaughters that I spend a lot of time with. And so um, I didn't realize how much, cause I'm like, I'm home all the time. I've been in bed for months at a time. Like this isn't gonna be hard for me. And, right. I, and I've been home since the end of February cause I, I am immunodeficient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, besides going to the doctors, um, and I did go to, <laughs> I did go to a protest, but I stayed very safe. <laughs> but besides those two things, going to the doctors and going to a protest, I've I've been home, and it's it's gotten hard because I didn't realize I had put in all those things in place, you know, that I I I did have to look forward to. So I'm trying to find <laughs> new ways to stay positive <laughs> and get through it. And um, yeah. It's something different. different. I, I Well, I always say it's different if you, you know, if you choose to stay in versus if you're forced to stay in. Yeah. Like that's, that's a whole different beast. Like I can, if I choose to stay in, I can stay in for weeks at a time and everything's fine. But the second they said, oh, you can't go out unless it's to go to the store. Well, I wanted to go to every store for everything and I didn't need right. anything, but it was, I have to go. I have to you know, I have to get out. But Whenever they tell you can't do something, you're just like, I need to do that now. Right. I need to do it right now. Uh, and then just recently, I uh, just started going out and, you know, being in small groups of my friends. And uh, I was with one of my really, uh, one of my best friends, uh, her and her husband are, are two of my best friends and their three-year-old son, he comes over and he sits next to me and he says, I'm really glad you came here just to see me today. And I I said, you know what? I did like that's Like I missed that kind of thing. Like, you know, like I'm glad you missed me because I missed seeing you too. Like, it's really, uh, you know, but it's, I've had even like my goddaughters come in, we'll be in the backyard, like six feet apart, but it's just so strange to not hug them and to not. Yes have that like that's something that I'm definitely missing like I didn't realize how much I hug people (laughs) yes yes I just had that conversation with somebody today she said you know she was saying I think I might be up to you know 15 people I've hugged and I said well I think I'm still under 10 so (laughs) I haven't hugged anybody like yeah Yeah, I'm super careful being right. Here. Yeah, it's really uh, hard. It's been very difficult, and uh, you know, thankfully, I, I, as I mentioned, I was able to stay, you know, somewhat creative and uh, come up with different things. And the nonprofit I work for, uh, I was able to work with some of our board members and create some online content for them uh, over the last couple of months. So that's helped 
uh, you know, keep my mind busy and uh, creating content for this uh, podcast and things. And so it's been really uh, been awesome about it is, you know, like I because, you know, I've been mostly in bed for like a good part of the time for the last few years. And Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there would be weeks of time where I couldn't even get up to go to the other room or anything like that. Now, since like COVID, people are alone and they're isolated. And so now I'm, I'm actually like getting together with my friends on Zoom and things like that, like way more often than we normally do, because I think, yes. and it's, and it's, it's my bad because like when I'm not feeling well, I do just isolate and I just like have to get through whatever I'm going through when I don't let people in and I don't want to mm-hmm. complain. And so I go through it alone until I get to the point where I'm like, I need people, you know what I mean? Yeah. This has been like, this has shown people what it's like to, to when you have somebody in your life who has health issues or things like that, when they're alone a lot and not able to go places, I think it's made people really understand that. And it's made it like my girlfriends and I have zoom meetings all the time and, and we're connecting more because everybody's stuck in now. And so right. in a weird way, like I'm seeing and talking to my friends a lot more since COVID than I was before. And, and it's really yeah. reminded me to not isolate like I do when I get in bad, you know. My, yeah, I think it has, well. yeah, I think it has really um, helped bring, you know, in some ways it helped bring people closer together to, um, you know, to realize that you know, you haven't talked to certain people in, you know, in a long time and, you know, help you reconnect with some people and just to check in with people more often. Um, if, if nothing else, uh, more than that, I think it's been uh, very helpful uh, for me in that way to, you know, just make sure that, you know, I check in on people and, and people that have checked in on me, uh, you know, some people who I haven't heard from in a, in a long time. And it's just, you know, Hey, I'm just checking in on you and people that live in different States and, and things like that, just to, uh, you know, see how we're doing here in Jersey. And <laughs> so it's been really, uh, I think, I think it has uh, brought people closer together in, in a lot of ways for sure. So is what would you like the world to know about people who have disabilities about your disability or any disability or um, just a final word. (laughs) Something I've learned from being somebody who was mobile and kind of able to fake it for a long time, like even though I was in pain and things like that to going to completely um, immobile at times. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, like, you know, growing up doing theater and things like that, like as soon as I got in a wheelchair, I thought like, I'm done like I'll never be able to do anything like this again and um Allie Stroker she won a Tony Award I love Allie I love her (laughs) I saw her on the Tonys and she was playing Ado Annie which is like the sexy fun awesome role that you always (laughs) want to play she wasn't playing like a grandma or like a, you know, sad person or anything like that. She was right. playing the hot fun, you know, the girl that you want to play in the show. And yes. when I saw her win the Tony, I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe there is a world where people in wheelchairs can be on stage and it won't just be playing the grandma or something like that. Maybe there will be, you know, our eyes will be open. I just think like representation really matters. And, and you know, like for me, like I, I, I've been in a wheelchair, I think the past about nine years and it's like Halloween comes around and I Google like characters in wheelchairs because I don't know why I thought I needed to have to be in a wheelchair or whatever, but you know, you <laughs> can't find anything or anyone that's cute. So I, there's, I, I just think that representation of, of especially women, you know, like I would, I'm a big walking dead fan. Yes. <laughs> I, was watching, I, was watching. I used to be a, a big walking dead fan. I got, I got out of it somehow. I don't even know how I got out of it, but. <laughs> so I was watching fear the walking dead 
and Daryl <laughs> Mitchell is in there. He's in a wheelchair, and he was talking about because he used to he was in a car accident, so he was acting before he was in a wheelchair. That he's acting when he's in a wheelchair, and he said, you know, you know, this wheelchair is just what gets me from one place to the next. Like this isn't who I am. It's just the thing that wow. moves me from this place to this place, and I think that that helped me a lot too to be like. It doesn't define who I am and that, you know, I just think that, um, so those are the two things. I think that there needs to be more representation of people with disabilities of all different types. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that for people with disabilities to know that, you know, we're still who we are as people and it, our disability or our illness or whatever it is that um, it doesn't define us. Yes. Thank you so much. That was, um, th that was great. And you mentioned two people that I would love to have on my podcast. So I'm hoping that they Let's both hear this. Shout out yeah. Shout out to Ali Stroker and, and, and Daryl Mitchell. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you know, if you're hearing this, <laughs> yes. So my, my fun story about Allie, I met her the week before she won the Tony Award. Stop. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So we, we have a mutual friend and um, uh, I work for a nonprofit that builds inclusive playgrounds and we had an event and one of the auction items was two tickets to go see O'Carr in Oklahoma. And she agreed to do a meet and greet with the two winners and then I also ended up going to the same show. <laughs> so I, I met her the week before she won the Tony Award. Um, wow. And she, she was actually also, I, I saw her February 28th of this year at Lincoln Center. She did a one-woman concert um, at Lincoln Center, which was, I guess, three weeks or so before everything here in New York and New Jersey shut down. So that was like one of my last outings. <laughs> my mom and I went up to New York and I ended up meeting, uh, seeing her there too and, and getting a picture with her there. That um, so is she, amazing. And, and, and back to what you said about her in Oklahoma, seeing that show and the way that they did the show and incorporated her wheelchair into the show, um, just as simple as having the male lead character like sit on her lap in the show. And it, it amazed me <laughs> the way that they uh, worked around her chair and incorporated her, her being a wheelchair user into the actual show itself, just to um, even the choreography, when the people were uh, stomping their feet, she was, you know, banging her chair up and down to like make the same sound. I was, I was amazed by that show seeing, uh, Amazing. Yeah, seeing her in uh, in that role, and as you said, playing the that lead character of, you know, a, a woman uh, who just happened to be in a wheelchair, and you honestly forgot about it. <laughs> I was gonna say you probably didn't even notice it. You're just looking at her and hearing her voice, and yeah, you really you really forgot about it, and it was just um, it was. And I, I remember sending her an email after that and just saying you know, she inspired me to like step it up because <laughs> it's just like, that was, I, I was just so impressed with the way that they, they did that show, that whole staging of everything. And um, yeah, so she's, she's more theaters will have people that are in wheelchairs or with other disabilities that can play the parts they always wanted to play and not be yes. like that. Yeah. Showed me. It was like really, really big. Like I had never even thought that that would ever be possible until I saw her and it was right. just like oh and then your cousin yeah. Brooke told me when you're ready to audition I'll put you in the show so that's right she yeah she is a director and she she's she's very good at yeah yeah Brooke is Brooke um, is great um is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we can um add into this or um anything so Okay, but I, I, this is a great conversation. I learned so much and, um, you know, I, I definitely will, um, I look forward to posting this episode and hopefully uh, being able to educate other people and, you know, hopefully someone will listen to it and be able to, um, you know, get some help and some pointers from, 
from what you were saying and just to uh, bring awareness to EDS. And um, I just really, you know, I really appreciate that you took the time out to uh, talk with me tonight. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Yes, you're welcome. And, um, you know, if there's anything uh, that, you know, that else, anything else that you would like to talk about or any other topics that you can think of, that would be great. Um, you know, for the podcast, I'd love to have you back on. And, um, you know, when we get Allie Stroker on, you know, you can be a special yes, guest to, to come on with Allie. <laughs> please. Yes. So I will, um, I'll definitely be in touch. And I, uh, again, I appreciate you taking time out to uh, talk Thank with you. me I tonight. I hope you and feel better and I hope you're safe in this hurricane. Thank you. Yes, it, it passed. Uh, the hurricane definitely passed um, within hours yesterday. So we're, you know, we're in the clear now. It's feel better. Thank you very much. And I, um, you know, hope you are having a good rest of your evening. I know it's uh, still early there. So I know. Really <laughs> great. I'm sorry. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for uh, agreeing to do this. And I will be in touch and have a good night. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Our View podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. New episodes will be released on the 15th and 30th of every month. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. Do you want to help change the tone of conversation among your family and friends? Head over to our website for some Our View merchandise. Our website is www.our-view.com forward slash merchandise. I thank you for listening. Have a great day and take care.